0: Uh, we're in Genesis 41. It's gonna be a bit, we're gonna try to get through the rest of 41 and 42. So Joseph at this point is a uh, very successful slave. It sounds like an oxymoron, right? But that's what he is. He's moved up. Uh, he's now in the, the prime minister spot. So we pick it up, Genesis 41:37. You don't remember what came before. Pharaoh had some bad dreams. His cupbearer remembers Joseph. Joseph comes out of prison. He interprets the dreams. He then tells Pharaoh, Here's my idea of how you save Egypt from the seven years of famine. You got to find a man that can do this. Pharaoh looks at Joseph and says, Hey, this is pleasing. So that's where we pick it up, verse 37. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? The first guy in the Bible that it said had the ruach of God. And he's a politician, which is fascinating to me. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand And put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He made him ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or a foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphanath paneah And he gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. What a change. Egypt is the known superpower at this time. So I can just, in my mind, imagine the Cairo nightly news introducing the new chairman of the Federal Reserve. Yeah, he's a Hebrew slave that was convicted of rape. Yeah, he's an ex-con and now he's the head of our entire economy. Back to you, Linda, right? This is insane. He goes from prison to the mansion. He's driving a Maserati with 22 inch spinners, bass is pumping Bob Dylan because he's the greatest artist ever and he's just loving it, right? I mean, this is brilliant. So instantly he goes from the absolute worst spot, prison, to being the number two dude. He's given a wife, he's given power. Like nothing happens in Egypt unless it goes through you. And he's given a signet ring. That'd be like being given Donald Trump's platinum credit card, right? You're not worried about a limit on that. The signet ring is he could do anything and everything. And he's given this new name even. Zaphonath-Paneah. No one knows what it means. could be a revealer. Uh, One translation said it means God speaks and he lives. I just think it's super hard to say. So his initials are better, Jay-Z. Just call him Jay-Z from now on. (laughs) So you got Joseph, new name, new everything, new marriage, amazing. This isn't like, you know, overnight. It's phenomenal. So when you compare, you have two major characters that are the bookends of Genesis. The first one is a guy named Adam. And the last one is Joseph. And there's these striking similarities between the two. Adam is created. God puts him in the garden. And God says to him, rule over everything, right? It's yours. You're right underneath me. You're co-ruling which is what we're supposed to be doing. Do you know that? Read Psalm eight. It's one of the most fascinating Psalms. Psalm eight verse five says this, that, that God created us and crowned us like kings, like queens with glory and honor. And then he sat under us and gave us dominion over all the works of his hands. We're supposed to be ruling. Adam was given rule, right? He's given a wife, right? You're supposed to rule underneath me. But what does he do? He rebels and chooses evil, raw instead. Now you get the second guy, the other bookend. His name is Joseph. He's, if you would recreate, give a new name. He's given a wife. He's uh, given rule and Joseph succeeds because he stays away from evil. So the bookends of Genesis are setting something out for the people of Israel and more importantly for you and me today that listen, if you want to rule well, God's given you authority, he's given you spheres. If you want to rule well, stay away from Ra and choose Tov, do good. And you'll rule well, just like Joseph. It's very New Testament, right? New name, new everything. It's very New Testament. So brilliant. So Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city, the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be be measured. These seven years are so phenomenally fat that they're bringing in all the bushels and bushels of wheat and grain. And it's so much that they just stop even counting it. How cool would that be? You've got so much money, you just stop counting it. I <laughs> just throw it in. There are people like that in Grants Pass right now. Do you know that? We, we, we were talking with the bank, actually someone else on our staff talked with the bank and uh, about building and that kind of stuff. He goes, I had a guy come in and he had a duffel bag full of a hundred grand and just said, hey, could you deposit this? Just walking through Grant's Pass with a duffel bag, hundred grand in it. You know why I think he can do that? Because he's got three like it at home. He's like, big deal, man. If I lose one of them, who cares? Like, it's crazy right now. How about in Klamath Falls? What was it on Friday? The drug bust? 400 grand in the car. I thought about that. I thought, what percentage of people do the policemen catch? 10%? One out of nine? I think that'd be high. So if it's one out of nine, then that means there's nine other people with like 400 grand in their car getting away. Like that is a hilariously huge amount of money. Crazy. Have you ever read a lot about Pablo Escobar? Read about him. It's one of the most, you just, like the amount of money Pablo Escobar dealt with is astounding he was making $60 million every day. Every $420 million a week, almost a half a billion dollars a week. Like he makes Apple look poor. There's this story where they're cold and his son says, yeah, my dad just started throwing money, burned $2 million to keep us warm. I'm cold. Should I go out and chop down a tree? Nah, just burn some money. Just throw, like, that's the thought process right there. They estimate with Pablo Escobar that he lost $2.1 billion to rats and just losing it. Man, where'd that 2 billion go? I don't know who cares, right? I mean, it's like the numbers are staggering with him. That's Joseph, but it's legal. So Joseph's at that same level, but he's doing the legal business. He's got so much. He just stops counting. It's a massive amount of money. So then, verse 50. Before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Aseneth, the daughter of Potipharah, princess of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, there was a famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land of Egypt, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph, to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. So Joseph now was a slave, prisoner, now his prime minister, what does he do? Does he relax? Uh-uh, he's all over the place for seven years, traveling around. He is busy, and this is what he does. This is the basic of every single economy that's ever been successful. He does two things. He produces something, and he saves some of it. That's economics 101 right there. You produce something... <laughs> And then you save some of it. It's that simple. That's how successful people do it. They produce something and they save some of it. For some reason, we've lost that a little bit, I think, in the United States. If you recall at 9-11, when our economy went down right after that, uh, I was in the business world at that time. I remember going to New York City, getting a five-star hotel right after, it was a couple of months after, we actually sold equipment to measure the pollution. So we're there, you can get a five-star hotel for 45 bucks. There's just nobody there. We're going to these really nice restaurants. Nobody's in them. It's just me and the sales guy. we just be like, man, this is crazy. So the economy was dumping. And then George Bush, our president at the time, came out and this is what he said. He said, hey, if you're patriotic, here's what I want you to do. Remember that? Go out and go shopping. Do you remember that? That was the time I stopped allowing my family to watch the news. Like I have four kids, four girls, man. Do not encourage them. I'll go broke. He should have said, "Save some, produce. Let's start producing something, and let's save some of what we produce." Because here's the truth: no economic boom goes on forever. It's never happened in the history, right? So, just basic economics of what Joseph does right here is super, super smart. But what most people end up doing is when the economy gets better and things go better and you start going up, what do you do with your spending? You just go right along with it. Instead of one car payment, you have two car payments. Instead of that 1,400 square foot home, you move up to a 2,000 square foot home and have a little bit bigger mortgage. So then, then you're fine unless there's a downturn and then you fall off the cliff. A real wise thing to do in life is what Joseph does here. When things are really good, when they're really good, save some. Put it away, put it in your mattress. Don't let the rats eat it. Don't go Pablo Escobar. Figure out some way of saving it. You'll do fine then. And I wonder, as I read this story, you've got seven super incredible years. I wonder if Joseph was a little bit worried at year number eight. Is it gonna be a famine or not? Have I done all this for, right? Right? I bet he looked out the door or the window or whatever it was one day and saw just brown, nasty fields and a hot Eastern wind. And he was like, honey, come here, look at this. What? It's all dead. Victory, we did it. And from this point on, here's what happens. If you notice verses 56 and 57, if you're thinking the way you're supposed to think in the book of Genesis, this should be like ding, 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 ding. That's important because here's what you have. You have Joseph, and who is Joseph related to? A really important guy. His name is Abraham. He's he's the great-grandson of Abraham. And so the great-grandson of Abraham begins to open up storehouses, and it says, all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain. Does that ring a bell? If you remember, Abraham was told this. He says, you're gonna have kids. And in your kids, the whole earth will be blessed. That's the Abrahamic covenant. What you see right here with Joseph, very importantly is there's a sneak preview. Look at here's a guy who did Tov. He becomes a ruler. He rules super well. And when he rules super well, the whole earth is blessed does that remind you of anything that should be coming for us? Yes. It's very prophetic of King Jesus. that when King Jesus returns, Isaiah, 20, Isaiah 65, which we read, and Isaiah 66, and the, the speaking of the, the kingdom that Jesus brings, that's exactly what's gonna happen. When the real king comes and he rules in righteousness, then the whole earth will be blessed. So you get this little sneak preview. I love that. One final thing is, he has these two boys and he names them forgetful and fruitful. Joseph had this ability to do something that every successful person, if you ever read a lot of biographies, they've all done this. It's he's able to put the past behind him and move forward. Do you know how biblical that is? Philippians 3.14, Paul says this, this one thing I do, This one thing I do, I forget those things that lay behind. And Paul had a bunch of bad stuff to forget about. He had tried to kill Christians, possibly killed Christians. He had been standing there when Stephen was stoned, giving his approval of it. He had a lot of bad things to forget. He goes, this one thing I do, I forget those things that lay behind and I reach forward to the high mark that God has on my life. I'm pressing for the mark of Christ in my life. That's exactly what Joseph does. He should have been sitting in a corner, like just, (sighs) right? Traumatized. And instead he's ruling and reigning the most powerful empire on earth. I love stories like that. Just on Tuesday, we had uh, a guy come in and speak to our staff. His name is Del Fisher, I'll say his name. He works at Hidden Valley High School right now. He's just like this. He should be sitting in a corner, just going traumatized. Because when he was three years old, his dad took him on his lap and committed suicide. And there's lots of, you know, that was in his, there, there, it's a Joseph story. And now he's just this brilliant, incredible man that loves and really is doing this, in, this mission work at Hidden Valley that just started this year. Like it's, it, there's a lot of potential to it. He, he, he did Philippians 3.14. That's, that's back there. That's back there. I'm going to reach forward to what God has for me right now. Philippians 3.14. That's what Joseph does. So now, 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? <laughs> Great dad right there. Boys, what are you doing, man? I have a, a good friend, his grandpa. used to always say this to all of his friends. He would say, do something, do anything. Even if it's wrong, just go, right? Just, wh- That's exactly Jacob, he's just this, yeah, I can just see him, just a crusty old guy. What are you looking at each other for? There's no food on this table. Get out there and get busy, oh, love him. So what are you looking at each other for? Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down, buy grain for us there that we may live and not die good answer. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So Jacob gets hangry, right? There's no food on the table. Guys go down there, buy some bread. My guess is this, we have never faced this kind of situation where you are literally gonna starve to death. Most of us have never. Like some of the stuff that happens in the Bible, we just, I don't know, you know, I I don't need, I I can't, I don't have a category for it. You know, we've become so efficient at that. Like just a hundred years ago, it took one farmer to feed three people. Now one farmer feeds 150 people. And they think that number is gonna drop even more, because has anyone seen Interstellar? It's a crazy movie, but they have drones at that time and all the equipment, all the farm equipment, GPS, drones. So there's one dude running like massive, massive farms at that point. That's probably the future. So like, we may never see this. So they're in this, they're in a crushing set of circumstances. They're watching their kids, Their kids are probably begging, is there any food dad? I'm hungry, I'm starving. Literally, I'm starving. So Jacob hears there's food down there and he sends his boy, but who does he keep back? Benjamin, Benjamin. You 10 go and die, I don't care, but I'm not sending Benjamin. He still has this problem with favoritism. And my guess is this, it's actually worse. Because now he's lost Joseph. If you remember, he would send Joseph out. Hey, Joseph, go check on your brothers. But now because he's lost Joseph, he's become even more protective and more plain favorites with Ben. He's hyper, super protective. Like the single mom who's raising a son, uh, a single boy. Have you ever seen that? So there's a kid that came over to, to go hiking with us one time and like raised by a mom and like, we're going in the, the little trails behind my house, cathedral hills. It looked like he, she had outfitted him for a summit to Everest. I'm like, wow. And my kids are like in shorts. They're not even wearing shoes. They don't even have a shirt on. Elijah's got like his 22. She's like, is he taking that 22? I'm like, well, should he take the shotgun? What do you think? All right, it's kind of like that. He's become this kind of, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preserve what I have. He, he lived a life of fear now, driven by fear. And his fear was now causing him to really push away his other boys. It's really, it's really kind of sad, right? So they go down. Here we go. Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brother came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. Remember those? Chapter 37. And he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants here never have been spies. Ever have a moment in your life where like the puzzle pieces of experience and the puzzle pieces of what's happened to you all of a sudden just click? Joseph had that moment right here. He just must've gone click. He remembered his dreams. Like I used to ask God, like, why did I grow up in such a messed up church? A hyper messed up, bad things happen. Why did I grow up in that church? And then I talked to people who were like, yeah, I went to that same church. Yeah, but it wasn't in Grand South. It was somewhere else, right? A lot of people. I'm like, ah, aha, that's why. I wondered why I took over this Bible study and I thought a lot of myself And I thought, I'm gonna blow this Bible study up. There's like 20 people coming to this Bible study. And within two weeks, I'd blown it up to five. And for two years, it stayed at five people. Like, God, why? I thought I was a little bit better than that. Yeah, that's why. That's why it stayed at five, man. Because you need to realize you're not that much better than that. It's like, there are moments in life where you're like, aha, it's that Esther 414 for such a time as this. And they're brilliant moments. That's when you write it down. So they have not seen Joseph now for 20 years. In 20 years, people change, right? Unless you're Dick Clark, you're gonna age in 20 years. Especially if something dramatic has happened, like if you gain a bunch of weight or you lose a bunch of weight or you go bald. So he would have been bald now, shaved. And I bet you by now in seven years of plenty, he's probably packed on a few pounds. Joseph is enjoying the good life. So he, they, they do not recognize him. On top of that, when you're not looking for something, you really, rarely, rarely find it. Do you know that? They gave this great, I, I think I showed it here maybe a couple years ago. This great study they did on these people, they, they had this, these people bouncing basketballs and then they would pass them. And the object was this, they told you this, count how many times the basketballs are past. So there's all these basketballs. So you're really focused on basketballs, 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 that's all you're looking for. Well, in the middle of like a 30 second clip, a guy in a gorilla suit walks through it. The majority of people do not see the guy in the gorilla suit because you're so focused in on what you wanna see that you don't see the very obvious guy in a gorilla suit. So these guys, if they're gonna look for Joseph, where would they have looked in Egypt? The slums, Right? They would never, prime minister, no way. So all this is going against them. They're not gonna recognize him. They don't. And it appears like Joseph is a jerk to them, right? Speaks roughly to them. Here's the reason why. He wants to know, are my brothers still evil? Are they still full of raw? What's happened in 20 years with them, right? Right? So in this great reversal, he was in their hands. He was in the pit. His life was in their hands. They sold him out. Now it's reversed. They're all in his hands. And what's he gonna do? What's he gonna do to them? It's one of the greatest reversals. So he accuses them of being spies. Modern translation, we'd say, you're a terrorist. You're an Islamic fundamentalist terrorist. The FBI are gonna be on you. That's his accusation. And so their answer is this. No, 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 no. We're all brothers from one family. So what he's saying is this, no one, no dad would send all 10 of their boys down to get killed. They'd only send two of them. So that would make no sense if we were spies for us to all come down here. That's their answer. Pretty good answer, right? So they say one other thing that I think must have made a little cringe. Verse 11, we are honest men. Oh, I wonder if as they said it, there's just a little sting in their conscience. Like actually for 20 years, we've been lying to dad about what happened to our brother. And I wonder if Joseph just went, what? oh my goodness, right? They're not honest, but maybe they are. So there's going to be now a push, if you would, where Joseph is, is gonna test them. And here's the hardest thing about a test like this. How do, you, how, do you, how do you prove the negative? You're a spy. No, I'm not. Right? How do you prove that? Proving something positive is easy. If someone said to me, Matt, you're not a pastor. I could prove I'm a pastor real quick. I go home, get my ordination, show it to them, get an IRS number. Look it, I am a pastor. But to prove a negative is impossible, right? What's the proof that you're not a spy? Well, you have to go over my entire life. And that's impossible. So he's put them in a really tough situation. So it gets even better. He said to them, verse 12, no, it is the nakedness of the land you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father and one is no more. They're talking to Mr. No More right now. (laughs) That'd be me, I'm Mr. No More. (laughs) But Joseph said to them, "'It is as I said to you, you are spies. "'By this you shall be tested. "'By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not come to this place "'unless your youngest brother comes here. "'Send one of you and let him bring your brother "'while you remain confined, that your words may be tested "'whether there is truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, "'surely you are spies.' "'And he put them all together in custody, "'in prison for three days.'" So I'm gonna put you in prison, let you cool your jets. In fact, I'm gonna give you my room. You can just stay in my room down there for a little while. Imagine that, right? How many of us would have liked to have done that to our siblings at some point? So he gets to, and now he's going to, he's gonna squeeze them for the really the next couple of chapters because he wants to see what comes out of them. If I squeeze you, is raw gonna come out? Is evil gonna come out of you? or something else gonna come out of you. When you are really pressed in life, the real you comes out. And I have this saying, when you squeeze oranges, you should get. If you squeeze Christians, you should get Christ. That's how I know my faith is actually transforming me, is when I'm really squeezed and tested, what comes out of me? Because that's the real me. And either it gives me an opportunity to repent and say, Jesus changed me or to rejoice and say, wow, I can't believe I've been changed. So he's gonna squeeze them here. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, big if, that one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben, he's the firstborn, answered them. Did I not tell you? not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Isn't that just like the oldest brother? I, just, I love this story. Man, I told you, idiots. <laughs> so good. Verse 23, they did not know that Joseph understood them <laughs> for there was an interpreter between them. And he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon, from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. So now he pushes them a little bit, presses them and they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of the sack. And he said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this that God has done to us? Here's the test. Will they exchange their brother, Simeon, for food. And the test is the same thing that had happened to Joseph 20 years earlier. They exchanged him for money. So now he's going to keep simming and see, have you changed in 20 years? Or will you leave this brother here because you're really the same kind of people and you haven't changed at all. So once that's kind of put, that the brothers had this conversation in Hebrew thinking that Joseph can't, can't understand them. And uh, you can see in them, they've been carrying this guilt for 20 years. This weight, right? Bad things are happening to us because of what we did to Joseph 20 years ago. That's how guilty they feel. When he begged us to let him go, I wonder if they had dreams where they'd wake up and they'd hear Joseph screaming as he was being dragged off to Egypt. I wonder if when they went by Dothan, where he was in that pit, if they questioned and wondered what happened to him. All these memories, and now it was haunting them. And so they're speaking this other language, thinking Joseph can't understand them, but the whole time Joseph hears it. Language is so funny. If you've ever traveled, you will always encounter funny stuff like this in language. Charity and I went to Japan when uh, I had one daughter and she was two and a half half months old. So Carissa, just a little thing, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, two and a half month old baby. Well, in Tokyo, there are very few blonde, blue-eyed people. It was the only blonde, blue-eyed baby we ever saw in all of our time in Tokyo. So these Japanese would come up and they'd wanna squeeze her cheek and they would say, kawaii, kawaii. So I figured out what that meant. It meant cute. Oh, cute. Kawaii, kawaii, cute. And then every once in a while, we'd see a Japanese couple with a baby. And so they'd be like, oh, kawaii. And so we would say, but we got it a little bit different. We wouldn't say kawaii. We'd say kawaii, kind of the Hawaiian style or something. So we'd be like kawaii. And we always got like a a look. So one time we're with Tawny, who's a a good friend of mine. And Tawny's showing us around. And of course that happens. Young couple comes over and they're like, oh, kawaii, kawaii. And then we go, oh, kawaii. And Tawny's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, why? He's like, you're saying their baby looks funny. I'm like, oh, I'm like, how many people have, I'm, su- I'm surprised not World War Three right now. Because we had done that like for about three weeks in a row. It's just crazy. So language is tough right here. When Joseph hears their conversation, he just weeps. He starts crying. Like the emotions of it are too much. And he knows this about them now. Test number one is knows this. They know they've sinned. If I, to, I want to really know if somebody's changed, to me, that's step one. Do you believe you've sinned? Or are you making excuses or playing the victim or blaming somebody? They don't do any of that. They're like, we sinned. We've blown it. We deserve this. When a man sits there and whatever the repercussions are in his life and he just says, Matt, I deserve it. I know, okay, you've repented. It's like the prodigal son. When he wakes up in the pig pen and he remembers, he doesn't blame his dad. Dad should have given me more money. My older brother should come find me. What does he say? I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna say to my dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you and I'm unworthy to be your son anymore. Making me your servant. That's repentance. So Joseph already knows, okay, there's been some change in these guys. They know they've sinned. Awesome. But they're so guilty when he puts their money back in their sacks as a gift, what do they see the gift as? A curse. Oh no. Oh no, what is God doing to us? We're gonna be seen as thieves. Their consciences are so guilty with what they've done. Now, why does Joseph put their money back? Here's my guess. And that's all it is, one man's opinion. I'm convinced Joseph didn't know about the family back at home. Like, what was their financial situation right now? Were they broke? Was the money that they brought the only money that they had? And so if he took that money, they would not return to buy more bread and they might die. So Joseph said, if this is all the money that they had, then I'm gonna make sure and put it back because this famine isn't lasting one year. It's lasting seven years. So I wanna make sure they have the money to come back down here and buy more bread. So I think I see it as just evidence of Joseph's care and already forgiveness and mercy for his brothers. Because he's like, I wanna make sure my family's taken care of. I'm putting the money back in there. So they'll be sure to come back down here. My opinion. Could be wrong, but it makes sense to me. So- Now they're freaked out, they make it home. When they came to Jacob, their father in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them saying, the man, this is is from this point on until he reveals who he is, he's just referred to as the man. The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us. (laughs) I just love that. Dad, he had a very stern tone with us. It was uncomfortable. (laughs) I just love that. Oh man, the man, he spoke roughly to us. These are grown men. Oh, okay. And I thought it was a lot funnier. Note to self, not funny at all. You have your own sense of humor that's quite warped. All right. <laughs> he spoke roughly to us. Like, have you ever said that about somebody? <laughs> have, have you ever, man, that, was a, that man spoke roughly to me. I don't know. Maybe it's a translation. But he, we said to him, we are honest men. We have never been spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more. And the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the man, the Lord of the land said to us, by this, I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers. <laughs> See how they're cleaning up the story? Did he say leave one of your brothers? No, he grabbed him and tied him up. So they're already trying to frame the narrative to Jacob. Like, it's not as bad as it seems. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your household and go on your way. And bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you're not spies, but honest men. And I'll deliver your brother to you and you shall trade in the land. So they get down there. They're like, dad, here's the good news. We got some grain. The bad news is our money's back in our bags. And it's going to look like we're thieves. And we lost a brother. I know it seems like a pattern that we just seem to lose brothers. <laughs> we go out, we get money and we lose brothers. I know that's a pattern, but we don't understand it. <laughs> I mean, so funny. That one is really funny. <laughs> As they entered their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben, he's the oldest, said to his father, kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. If you have a very dumb person in your family, it's biblical. Is this the most moronic thing you've ever heard in your life? Hey, if your son gets killed, here's the solution. Kill two of your grandsons, right? It's just like, Reuben. There are some people that should not talk. Reuben happens to be one of them. (laughs) Put him in my hands and I shall bring him back to you. But he said, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead. And he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you were to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol or the grave. Okay. In this text, we see three responses to hard times. And I think they cover how most people will respond to hard times. Response number one, is the brothers. And their response is this, God is getting us. Because of what we did and how we've lived and our sin in the past, now God is smashing us, God's getting us. That's their response. My answer is no. Numbers 32, 23, Moses says, be sure your sins will find you out. Not God smashing you, it's your sins coming back. It's your guilty consciences now hurting you. In fact, it's not God getting you at all. This thing is gonna work out brilliantly for you. It's the exact opposite. It's God blessing you, but you're so guilty. You can't even see it. You see the money in your bag as a curse when it's actually God trying to bless you. So that's the first response. Jacob is response number two. He is the best, right? He looks at his sons. You have bereaved me of my children, right? Right? Joseph is no more. And what does he say about Simeon? He's dead too. Oh, he's not. He's down in Egypt, bro. No, he's dead. <laughs> just, just count him off. He's dead. I mean, it's just like, bro, really? So he, he blames. He plays the victim. Um, he believes the worst. Simeon's dead. He says, the entire world is against me. Everything in the world is against me. Really? The, the, the absolute opposite is working out for him right now. He's going to discover that his son Joseph, whom he loves, is actually alive. So he's just, just a total wrong way. This is the text that I preached on June 11th, 2006, which was almost two weeks after my older brother died, May 28th, same year, and about five months after my mom had died from cancer. And it happened to be June 11th, the, the Sunday that I came back, his birthday, which really, it was a tough, it was the toughest, that was the hardest Sunday I've ever done in my life. And I preached on this text because I didn't want to grow into Jacob. And it's very easy to do. To start saying, the whole world is against me. God, why is this happening to me? Ugh. So I actually preached, I don't wanna be jo- Jacob. I could see this growing in me. I could see the tendency to move this direction. And what happens to Jacob is this. He's got two more years of misery because he responded this way. He added hardship to his life because of his poor perspective on suffering. That's what he does. And he's still playing favorites. He's still making his family screwed up, right? You're not taking Benjamin. I don't care if Simeon dies down there. He's my favorite. How do these other nine feel at this point? Man, dad could care less about us. We're expendable. Simeon's gonna stay down there and die. Dad doesn't care, right? He'd rather keep his favorite than save save his son. So he never like, he never fesses up. Jacob never fesses up like, you know, I'm kind of part of the problem. Yeah, you shouldn't have sold Jacob, Joseph into slavery, but let's be honest. Maybe half of it's my fault. He never does that. It's always like blaming victim, blaming victim. All right, that's response number two. Let's blame somebody. Let's be the victim. Let's get mad. Let's get angry. But there's a better one. So flip forward really quick and I'm done to Joseph's response to it. It's chapter 45. Verses four on down. And this is, This is Joseph's commentary. When he reveals himself to his brothers, this is what he says. Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. It's your fault. You did that to me. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God. Sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Joseph's commentary is super simple. You sold me into slavery, Ra! But God turned it into Tov to save many people. That's his commentary. If you wanna do suffering well, do it like Joseph. Do it like Joseph. God, you can take whatever raw this is and turn it into Tov. And that's what I'm gonna trust. And that was my message. I want that. I want that for all of us. That's how you suffer well. God, you can take the raw around me and Dale Fisher's life and my life and your life. And if I'll give it to you and allow you, man, you can turn to something beautiful, which is the whole story to me of the Bible. That's the story. So Father, this day, we give you thanks this Christmas for the unspeakable gift of your son the one who took the raw to give us tov, the one who took evil to bring good. And I pray that each of us, maybe those in here this this evening that are going through deep waters, hard times, Father, I pray that we would not respond like the brothers. We would not respond like Jacob but that we would have the faith-filled eyes to respond like Joseph. Your hand is on this, that you're able, that you are great enough and you are good enough to take the raw and to bring Tove. So go with us. May tomorrow, Lord, we be ambassadors of that kind of a kingdom. Absorbing the raw of coworkers, our neighbors, our drivers, our people cutting us off, whatever raw there is, Lord, that we be able to absorb that and turn it for tow for good. So fill us, empower us with your spirit and send us out as rulers in Grant's Pass. And I pray this in your name, amen. God bless you guys.